Romans 13, please. Romans 13 in your Bibles. Hope you brought your Bible to church with you this morning. If you didn't, though, there is one in front of you in the seat. Same version I'll be reading from. Romans chapter 13 will be in verse 11 today. Lord willing, today will be our last message in Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 11, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Father, we are thankful for your word, as always. And Lord, we pray today that you would just help us now as we uh, take this part of our service to examine this, this passage. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. And help me, Lord, today to preach clearly and accurately and practically. Help me to say only the things I ought, nothing I ought not. And help today, Lord, this passage of scripture to speak to our hearts. Lord, you are our teacher. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to us today, and so I pray you would. And I pray that you would light within us uh, a fire, that you would help us to see the urgency of these things. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Procrastinate. A word that means to delay or postpone action or to put off doing something. Procrastination is the action of delaying or postponing something. Procrastinator is one who delays or postpones something. Some years back, there was an H&R Block commercial. It was It's one of my favorite commercials of all time, and I think I only saw it one time, and they took it off, and I wish they'd they'd show it again because I thought it was a, a good commercial. Imagine, if you will, the scene. There is a family sitting in their living room. They are kind of cringing in their living room. The TV is on in the living room, but you can't hear a sound coming from it because the volume is turned so low that it's just basically flickering images. Uh, The clock is ticking. It's absolutely silent. Everybody looks nervous. The wife looks nervous. The children look nervous. Even the dog looks nervous. And then all of a sudden, the upstairs, there's a balcony up there. Upstairs, this door comes crashing open, and this distraught-looking father, husband figure, comes running out onto the balcony. His hair's all ripped up, you know, like he's been pulling his hair out, and he screams at the top of his voice. He says, can I have a little quiet around here? And right then, the H&R Block voiceover guy comes on and says, don't procrastinate. Don't wait until the last minute to do your taxes. Let H&R Block do your taxes for you. You know, there are several interesting topics in Romans chapter 13. The first seven verses that we talked about a couple of weeks ago speak about the Christian's response to and responsibility toward authority, especially civil authority. That was an interesting passage. And then in verses 8 through 10, we have some instruction about love. Uh, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. There's all kinds of good stuff in that passage, and we... Last week I cut out about two-thirds of my sermon, so you're probably all saying amen to that. 
But uh, some of the things we didn't talk about, you ought to go off and study on your own. That passage talks about the Christian's response to debt. There's some good thought there. But primarily he was talking about love. The Christian's primary responsibility, the primary debt of love that we owe others. But now we come to the last part of, of chapter 13. And here in these verses we find this clear warning, and I think it is a clear warning, against procrastination. Now, like all the rest of the chapter, Paul is talking here to Christians. He's talking to us about our Christian lives, our Christian living, and how we ought to put into practice the things that we've learned in the first part of the book of Romans. But I think we could also make application of this to uh, to those who are not saved. Procrastination, uh, as far as whether or not you're going to come to Christ, is a very dangerous thing. It can land you in hell. But I want us to think about it primarily this morning, about how it applies to us as believers, because that's the way Paul is writing it. And I want you to notice that there are three words here we're going to pull out, and we're just going to kind of use those to drive our thinking today. Those are the words now, nearer, and tonight. Did you see those three words there? They're all hammering home the same point. They're all hammering home the thought that we're running out of time to serve the Lord, and we need to get busy for Christ. Think about that word now. Look at verse number 11. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Do you hear the urgency there in Paul's voice? Certainly there's urgency there. He is saying that we are running out of time. Two times in that verse he used the word now. Now it is high time. Now our salvation is nearer. The whole verse is brimming with urgency. He's saying that the alarm clock is sounding and there's no time left to hit the snooze button. None of us do that, do we? The church in America and around the world and right here in Randolph needs to wake up to this. See, that's what now says. That word now. It says time is up. It says no time remains. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. It's a vivid picture of urgency. In J.R.R. Tolkien's wonderful trilogy, uh, the Lord of the Rings. There's a great illustration of now. I've shared it with you several times, I think. I'm a Trek fan, but I'm also a Tolkien fan, so you have to bear with that kind of nonsense, I know. But you might remember the scene where at the very end of the entire story, Frodo Baggins stands over Mount the, the pit of Mount Doom, and all he has to do is drop the ring in there and destroy it and evil with it forever. But he can't seem to bring himself to do it. And his good friend Samwise Ganji looks at him and says, What are you waiting for? Do it now. And I always think about that as being such a wonderful illustration to me of how we need to do things now. Now is when we must do things, but we struggle with it, just as he struggled with it. We struggle with the urgency of it. There are some examples of it in Scripture. Let's turn, let's turn to one. How about Mark chapter 10? Let's flip over there. Mark chapter 10. And let's read about our good friend Bartimaeus in verse number 46. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. 
So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Bartimaeus is an example of someone who understood that they had one chance. One chance, one chance. Jesus was passing by. Now was the only opportunity he had uh, to uh, get this thing dealt with. Another example is in Luke chapter 19. Let's look at that. Our good friend Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. In verse number 1. Both of these stories happened in Jericho. Something about Jericho makes us think about urgency, I guess. Luke chapter 19, verse number 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste. He came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Another example of someone who recognized the urgency of now. He had one chance. Jesus was coming. Jesus was going to pass by. He couldn't see him. He had to do whatever it took in order to see him. Urgency. Urgency. That's what this word now says to me anyway in our text. Now it's high time. When is the right time for a person to come to Christ? After they've thought things through for weeks and weeks and weeks? After they've compared it to every other religion on the face of the earth? No. The Bible says now. Now. As Samwise Gamgee would say, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, Paul told the Corinthians. When's the right time for a Christian to stop dabbling in the world and stop living for Christ? If you look at the last part of what we read there, that's what he's talking about there. Those last few verses, verse 13. Well, verse number 12, the second part of verse 12. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. When is the right time? For the Christian to stop dabbling in those things and start living for Christ? And the answer is now. Now. It's high time. So it's an interesting word, isn't it? Such a simple little word. Now. And yet it's compelling. It ought to cause all of us to recognize the urgency of this matter. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We support a missionary. In Puerto Rico, his name is Jerry Harmon. Some of you have met him. He's an old friend of mine. I knew him in New Jersey when I ministered out there. But Jerry told me one time that in the cultures he ministers to there in Puerto Rico and other parts of, uh, I guess, uh, the Latin world, uh, they have a word there that is nearly ubiquitous in its use. And if you know Jerry, you'd understand why this kind of speaks to him too. But uh, that word is manana. Anybody know what manana means? Huh? Tomorrow, manana, manana. He said that's the way everybody is in that culture. I'll handle it, manana. 
It reminds me of the little song that uh, from the Broadway musical Annie, Tomorrow, Tomorrow, I Love You Tomorrow, It's Only a Day Away. And yet Paul is telling us here, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. There is not always going to be a tomorrow. There might not be a tomorrow. Tomorrow! And so we need to recognize the urgency of this thing. Let us, word, let us learn from this word now. Let us train ourselves to see the urgency in the word. Let us wake up now. And let us stop presuming upon God's patience now. It's high time. Well, that's one word. Let's look at a second word. The second word he mentions here that I want to draw your attention to, also in verse number 11, is the word nearer. Nearer. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And you might think there's not a whole lot of difference between the thought there. Uh, When he uses the word now, he uses the word nearer. But I think there's a slight difference. Maybe there's a word picture there. Maybe it's just a little nuance that speaks to me, I'm not sure, helps me to understand the urgency of these things. When he talks about our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, I believe he's talking there about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the fact Jesus is coming again. Marvelous message we bring. Glorious carol we sing, wonderful word of the King. Jesus is coming again. You believe that, right? Oh, that was sad. You believe it or not. Jesus is coming again. We talk about it all the time. Uh, there, there's, there's, uh, there, there, there's so much uh, in the Bible. Prophecy after prophecy says so. Promise after promise tells us that his return is fact and that it is imminent. There's not a single Bible prophecy, you know, that needs to be fulfilled before the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could come tomorrow. He could come today. He could come in this minute. He could come before we leave this place. Imminent. He is coming again. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go. Acts chapter 1. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Matthew sixteen twenty-seven. There's a lot of interesting words that are used when you think about the return of Christ. And I use several of them right there. Words like prophecy, words like promise, words like imminent. All interesting. But this text that we're looking at today has a word which I think is interesting in its own right, and that's the word nearer. Nearer. Every day, Christ's return gets nearer. And if we're wise, we're paying attention to that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober. There's a railroad track just a little ways north of my house on New Milford Road. I've probably told you this story before, too. It's a horrifying story from my childhood. There's a railroad track there. I cross it every day on my way to work. And you know what I do when I approach that railroad track? Probably the same thing that you would do. I approach the railroad track, and I look to my right, and I look to my left. And if there's no train coming, I cross safely across, and I proceed on my way to work. 
Sometimes I'll approach that crossing and I'll notice that there's a train coming, but it'll be way off in the distance, way down the road, and I think, oh, no problem. The gate's not down yet. I'll just go on across. I recall a time in my teen years. I was riding with my father. We were uh, in a big truck. He had rented a big dump truck for something, and we were, we were going to do a job somewhere. I can't remember what it was. Something on my grandmother's house, I think. And we were approaching that track, and as we approached that track, My father was just kind of coasting up to the tracks, and he turned his head to the left. And with his head still turned to the left, he said to me, is there anything coming from your direction? So I looked to the right. The truck continued to coast out onto the tracks, and I said, yes! And he denies this to this day, vehemently denies it. But it took him a second for that to register, and when it did register, he slammed on the brakes. We were now sitting on the tracks. And he looked at me very calmly and he said, What? What's coming? A train is coming! I deny to this day some of the things he said I said that day too, but nonetheless, you see, that train was coming. And it was near. And every second it was getting nearer. There was no question in my mind about the urgency of the matter. It was too near. But you know what? It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. 2,000 years since the angel said to those standing around that he will come again as you saw him go. And delay, the time intervening between the promise and the fulfillment, it, it makes us complacent, doesn't it? And Paul is trying to press home this fact here. It is nearer now. And we need to fight that complacency. We need to recognize the urgency of the matter. You remember the story of the ten virgins that Jesus told? Let me read that one for you. You don't need to turn to this, but I'll just read it. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. I think that's such an important verse in there. It wasn't just the foolish ones who slumbered and slept. The wise ones did too. All of us have to fight against this procrastination. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. With each passing moment, the bridegroom's coming was nearer. But with each passing moment... Their complacency, rather than their sense of urgency, grew. Solomon warned in Ecclesiastes, he said, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Brothers and sisters, let it not be so with us. It is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. One last word. And I'll be done. It's the word night. Verse number 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. 
You know, it has been night in this world since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Since sin entered the world, it has been night. In the upper room when Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper, and after he had washed the feet of the disciples, it it was somewhere in there that he identified Judas Iscariot as the one who would betray him. And John, in his account of those events, points out that Judas went out, and then he says in John chapter 13 and verse number 30, And it was night. It was night. Such a picture of the world in which we live, the world in which the Prince of Darkness holds sway, a world in which we seem to walk in endless night. But Paul here gives us a wonderful reminder, a wonderful reminder that the night will soon end for believers, and it will turn to endless day. And again, I think the point he's trying to make here uh, in using that word, that, that picture, it's the same point he's already made. Time is growing short. The night is coming to an end. The day is about to begin. Now is when we ought to be doing something because the coming of Christ is nearer. And his illustration about the night drawing to a close is just reinforcing that. So what should we do as the night draws to a close and the day looms? What should we do? Well, in verse number 11, it says it's high time to awake out of sleep. High time to awake out of sleep. And that's what we should do. Why is it that we struggle with that? Some of us do. We procrastinate. We don't see the urgency. We, we hit the snooze button again and again. You know, it's one thing to procrastinate on your taxes. I have a habit of doing that, and probably some of us do as well. Uh, that might get you in a little trouble with the IRS, and that's about it. But procrastinating on these things, especially if we're talking about a lost person, procrastinating on coming to Christ, well, it can end you up in hell. For all of eternity, it will end you up in hell. Now it's high time to awake. That's what Paul's saying. I recall one particular teenage boy who shall remain nameless. He used to live in my house. Not a teenager anymore. He used to have a little trouble getting up in the mornings. And I seem to recall that uh, we had some real battles over that. Time to get up for school. None of you guys ever do that, do you? No. And he would fight me and fight me and fight me and fight me until one day I walked up the steps very calmly when it was time for him to get up with a glass of ice water and poured it in his face. It was great fun. <laughs> he was immediately awake. And you know, from that day on, I, I never, had to, uh, never had to do that again. All I had to do was go to the bathroom and turn the water on. <laughs> he was out of that bed. Works, parents, you ought to use that kind of stuff. Well, three words, now, nearer, and night. And though they might address the issue in maybe different ways, I think they're all telling us the same thing. There is an urgency about our business as believers, and we need to recognize it and get busy. We need to get busy. Do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Two things I would challenge you with this morning. First of all, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and you know whether that's true of you or not. You know whether or not there's ever come a time when you bowed before the Lord and said, I need you as my Savior in my life. You know that. You know whether there's ever been a time when you you said, "I, I recognize that you are indeed the Son of God. 
I recognize that you did indeed die for my sin. I believe what the Bible says when it says uh, the, the, that you are the, truth, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. I understand that. I believe it. I accept it. I receive you as my sin. You know whether you've done that. And if you have not, then my challenge for you this morning is, why wait? Do it now. Do it now. You have absolutely no guarantee of tomorrow. I wish there was some way to express the urgency of that to you. I don't know how to do it. But I wish there was some way to get you to see that there is no tomorrow. No guarantee of tomorrow. That you could walk out of this place and say, you know what, I'm going to think about that a little bit longer. And never come here again. Never have another chance. You see, when Jesus passes by and he gets a hold of you and he says, you know what, he's talking to you. I'm talking to you. And you need to trust Christ as your Savior. When that happens, you need to think like Bartimaeus. You need to think like Zacchaeus and recognize that may be the only time. There is no promise in Scripture he'll ever come by twice. None. So my first challenge this morning is if you've never trusted Christ, please don't walk out of here like that. You need to be saved. And it is urgent. Your situation is desperate apart from Christ. Every second is a gift of His grace that He's given you one more second that you might trust Him. And every second that you say no, every second that you say, I'll wait a little bit longer, you are nearer to hell. So that's the first challenge. If you're not saved, I implore you to consider the urgency of that and trust Christ today. But then also, if you are a believer... I, I, am always, I am always convicted by the, the story of the ten virgins because it says they all slumbered and slept. That means even the wise, even the good ones, even the believers fall prey to this. And so if you're here today and you say, oh, I've trusted Christ, I'm on my way to heaven, I'm absolutely certain of that. Are you serving the Lord? Are you serving the Lord? Because time is running out. For us to do anything for Christ. Time is running out for us to live the way that we ought to. And if we put it off, put it off, well, the night is coming to an end. The day is at hand. So think about that if you're a believer as well. Do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Now nearer night. High time. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that it speaks to our hearts today, Lord. I know it speaks to mine. Forgive me for my complacency. Forgive me for my procrastination. Forgive me for the times when I know I ought to do something for you and I put it off. Forgive me for the times, Lord, that I hear your word. I hear your voice. And I say later, I say manana. Lord, forgive me for those things. Fill me with the sense of urgency that Paul speaks about here. And I pray the same thing for everyone in this room. Lord, I pray first of all for those who might be here who have never trusted Christ. Lord, I pray that right now you get hold of their hearts and they would see the urgency of this thing. They would know that they may not uh, ever have another chance. And I pray today they'd turn their life over to you. Lord, we'd love to see them walk this aisle and let someone take them by the hand and 
take them someplace quiet and share with them from Scripture. I, I pray some would do that. But I pray also, Lord, that if some won't even do that, that at least right where they stand, they'll pray and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to be saved. And though I may not understand everything about the Bible, I may not understand everything about, uh, about the gospel, yet I know enough. I understand enough to know Jesus died for me. And I believe in him. And I receive him. Lord, I pray someone would pray that prayer today. Lord, let nobody leave this place lost. Urgency, Lord. Help us to see the urgency of it. And for Christians, I pray also, Lord, they also would recognize. Maybe some of them have felt uh, you working in their hearts and life about uh, some area of service, some area of, of being closer to you. Maybe it's reading their Bible more. Maybe it's attending prayer meeting. Maybe it's getting involved in one of the ministries here. Maybe it's just more faithful attendance. Maybe it's family devotions in the home. Maybe it's witnessing to friends and family and neighbors. Whatever it is, Lord, you've been working in their heart, and they've been saying later, later. And I pray, Father, today that they'd say now. Help us all, Lord, to see the urgency that the time is running out. And help us to act on it today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.